You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. One. All right, Josh, I always like asking people about uh, you know what they remember about their childhood, things that really stick out to them, things that were important to them that maybe uh, were just fun or things that were important in their development. So when you think back to your childhood growing up uh, in the Carolinas, what, what stands out to you? Um, probably the breakfast that I had with my grandmother pretty much every morning I stayed with her. Um, a lot of life lessons were taught, you know, sitting across from her, eating a bowl of grits with some corned beef and hash, you know. So <laughs> I, I, I learned a lot, and that's one, like one of my all-time favorite, you know, meals, you know. I just appreciate that woman for everything she she did for me and put into me. So that's definitely a memory right there that you brought back. I know that you mentioned the the impact your grandmother had. Now, can you can you cook up a breakfast like she could? Uh, not like she can, but I definitely learned. So my kids are definitely enjoying the benefits of me having a grandma <laughs> like her. The one thing I can't do, Jared, is make scrambled eggs, which you'd be ashamed of. Really. Yes, I've only tried it one time, and it was the worst. My, my <laughs> oldest son told me I did bad. <laughs> so what's the, whether it's breakfast, lunch, or dinner, Josh Howard's in the kitchen cooking up a meal. What's your specialty? Uh, to be honest, I like getting on the grill. So any type of burger, steak, uh, seafood, I love uh, putting that on the grill. And then I learned how to make uh, some cream spinach collard greens my last year in the D-League when I was taking cooking classes. Okay. It was, that's like my signature as far as my family. He <laughs> asked me to make it when we have any type of family gathering. So, yeah. <laughs> hey, you're, you're bringing sign to the table. That's good. Well, maybe maybe next year if we do this, we'll have a scrambled eggs conquered. There we go. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I plan on trying it again. Yeah. Well, so your grandmother, the, the wisdom, the, the impact she had, uh, what are the things that, that – she taught you that stick with you to this day that throughout your career were, were things you would look back on and, and maybe fall back on as, uh, you know, I guess pieces of wisdom, pieces of guidance. Uh, just perseverance through, through tough times, understanding like, you know, it's not going to be bad always, especially if you put forth the effort and have faith in God. You know, that's one thing she, she taught me was just believing in God and, you know, continue to, to walk your path. Um, that, that, that's like one thing I just, you know, try to instill in my players that I have coming up under me as well. So, you know, again, I, I appreciate that woman, you know, and, you know, for me to be able to pass on these gifts, I'm definitely going to do that. All right. So what drew you to basketball, Josh? What, what, what how old were you? And, and when did you, when do you remember falling in love with basketball? Uh, well, I was about 10 and a half, 11 when I asked my grandma for my first, you know, backyard goal. Uh, didn't really think nothing of it. I just knew, like any other neighborhood kid, I wanted to go to my back. So what I had to <laughs> walk about five miles to the nearest park. So it was definitely convenient to have a goal in your backyard. And um, I guess I started taking it serious when my last year of playing Pop Warner football in '91, uh, when we was getting assigned our our numbers for the you know the team, I got number 63. And I never understood to this day why I got six three and I was a pretty good football player. <laughs> and they have they have me playing defense, defensive line at that too. So I it, it like crushed my football dreams, and then I just transitioned over to basketball. And from like 
probably about 92 to, to this day. I've just been an avid fan of the game and just understand how it is and how it operates and how you can be successful at it. So, Josh, were you – I know you're you're obviously tall. Were you like D-lineman size, though? I mean, what were they doing there? Because you, no, you strike no. me more as a receiver. Exactly. I had a receiver body in a three-point stand trying to break the <laughs> offensive line. So, again, like I say, I never understood. None of the coaches ever broke it down to me. But, you know, that team that I played on, too, I can brag about. We made it all the way to the national championship in Florida and won uh, the national championship. So, to be a part of a team like that at a young age also taught me, you know, some good morals and values about sticking to, you know, things that you already start. So, definitely learned a lot about that. Who, who are some of your basketball influences, Josh? Um, to be honest, I really didn't have anybody I looked up to like in the immediate like area as far as like basketball wise. Um, when I took to the game, I guess you could say the typical Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Magic Johnson when they were in their prime. Um, I, I enjoyed watching them on Sundays, you know, coming home from church, you know, and in, in a, what it was NBA, what, NBA on NBC. Yeah. <laughs> so those was the best times where I kind of got my influence, uh, even watching Patrick Ewan and the Knicks, like those things at that time were definitely awesome. Um, I had an older cousin that used to take me everywhere with him uh, as far as like, you know, growing up as a young man up under him. And he used to play basketball a lot and he was a good football player. Um, so my cousin Greg, he, he's definitely influential as far as like, I guess you could say a mentor in my life as well. So. Uh, you mentioned uh the, the perseverance and, and I heard you after you got the, the head coaching job at UNT Dallas. And, and we're going to talk about that here in a, in a bit, but you, you were asked about the ups and downs of your career. And, and I was so impressed with the, the way you conveyed your answers. And so I, I guess I'm curious, you know, one of the, the first things that, that I remember reading was the night you were handcuffed before the SAT. And, and, you know, I, I read your, your, thoughts in response to that and and I guess that wasn't maybe the first time you had to overcome something but that certainly was a significant time uh how did that moment impact you how, how did how did those couple of days that night and then having to take the SAT and, and not getting the score that you needed to go to college how did that end up impacting you and in, in, in a positive way moving forward uh just taught me about just focusing on what I needed to do you know not not getting caught up in the crowd, you know, and, you know, it was a prime example of, you know, following the crowd, you know, uh, one thing that I, I've learned and I also instill in my guys is like being a follower. I mean, a leader, not a follower, you know, and that's, you know, one thing you can do to make sure that you stay out of trouble or, you know, do what's right in your best interest. So, you know, those times, like I say too, uh, everybody, you know, has situations in their life that they don't, you know, are not proud of, you know, and you just have to learn from those situations. Definitely use them as teaching tools for others when they're coming along behind you. Cause I mean, it's, it's impactful, man. And uh, if you can reach one, you can teach one. That's another little motto I use. So, you know, I just always thinking about the next person cause I've, I've learned from my, my past. So you said those breakfasts with your grandmother, she taught you about perseverance. It, it, you know, it's one thing, obviously we, we learn things, we hear things, but then to apply it, when you were going through these moments, you know, whether it was that night that uh, we just talked about or, or, you know, maybe you're struggling, you know, over a few day stretch, you know, uh, in the NBA, just having bad games or something more serious. Uh, were you at, at that point when you were playing, were you able to apply those or was it only something that now in retrospect, you're able to look and appreciate 
what those struggles did to you? Or did you have that perspective when you were growing up and when you were growing as a player? Yeah, I just had it when I was growing as a player, understanding, like, I had to press, uh, push through. I had to understand, like, I can't get knocked down and stay down. Like, especially, you know, if we were talking about the Mavs when I played here, especially the type of team I was on, like, with the leaders I was playing with and the Dirk Nowinski's, uh, Jason Kidd's, like, I knew I had to hold my weight, if not, you know, sometimes carry their weight and vice versa. So, um, I always knew I couldn't be a quitter, basically, you know, and I had people that depended on me, so. You know, it was also a great feeling to have and understand, like, any type of obstacle that could come my way. I, I felt like I could, you know, push through it no matter what it was. So, so then yeah. you 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 go to Hargrave uh, Military Academy for that, that extra year, and then you end up at Wake uh, mm-hmm. and, and spend four years at Wake. So yeah. I, I want to get into the academic side of that because I think, you know, what you accomplished there is, is really special. But just from a, a basketball standpoint – how did you grow as a player at Wake Forest? Why was Wake so important to you, or, or was it important when you look back on your development? Oh, yeah, Wake was very important in my development. Uh, Coach Odom, Coach Hayes, Coach Nestor, Coach Turner, um, I mean, the weightlifting crew, uh, just the overall campus, just being able to connect and, you know, having that opportunity to further my, my career at Wake Forest was definitely a blessing. And I do look back on it, you know, every day, uh, just as far as like what that university meant to me, as far as like making me who I am or a part of my life and growing up, growing up as a man, um, wait, man, it's, it's a beautiful place to be. Uh, have you ever been to that campus? I've, you know, I've been to that area. I've been to Duke's campus. I've been to North Carolina's yeah. campus. I've never been to Wake Forest campus. Oh uh, man, you would definitely have to like get back out there. Cause I'm from Winston, of course, where yeah. Wake is. So, to even know that side of town and know how, you know, elegant it is and, you know, how prestige you can be. Like, wait, it's just beautiful, man. And like I say, the way they, you know, embraced me as a student, I learned so much. And like I majored in religion and minored in international studies. So my whole process was also about just thinking about the world globally, you know, what's going on in everyday events and trying to get an understanding on how we can better the world is like the typical that I learned from my degrees, you know, so um, learned a lot from Wake, man, and I know, you know, people that go there definitely learns a lot as well. So. Yeah, so you mentioned the the minor. I, I noticed, you know, you, I don't know at what point you realized, hey, I, I'm going to play in the NBA, but but for guys in college, it, it's such a time commitment. You don't often have time to minor in something. I mean, you know, sometimes your major is, is challenging enough because the basketball or the football or whatever sport is pulling you in so many directions. So you made the decision to come back for a fourth year. You would have you know, likely been a, a lottery pick, certainly a first-round draft pick. You went back. You wanted to graduate. And and not only that, I, I think the fact you got a minor and just hearing you speak about this, school wasn't just something that you did to stay eligible. Like This was important to you. So why why was it important to you, and, and, and why did you ultimately decide to come back and graduate? Why was that specifically important to you? Well, to come back and graduate, it was just a personal goal and a family goal. You know, my mom, being a single-parent mom, raising two, you know, African-American men, that men, um, definitely is just like a, a honor, you know, to see one of her boys graduate from college. So that was definitely a goal I wanted to do for my mom and, like I say, for myself. So um, just coming back and doing that was a blessing. And, you know, I was just, I was just thankful that I could do it. When you think of, like, the academic side is – 
in the wanting to have a better understanding of the world and the religion. Was there anything from, and I know this is a while ago, but anything from the academic side that you, you carry with you or a lesson you learn from those classes or just having to balance the, the academics and the sports, anything involving the academics that, that really stands with you today? Um, that's a great question. Cause during the time I was majoring in religion was when, um, a lot of the focus was on Islam and radicalism and, you know, if you could trust, you know, the Middle East and things of that nature. So it was a lot of hate going on as far as like in politics and, you know, just the common news feed. So, you know, it's just interesting to learn people's views and, you know, basically shape my view as far as like just looking around everything as a whole board, not just basing my answers off of my own opinions, but definitely listening to everybody else opinion and then shaping my opinion so that aspect right there definitely has stayed with me all the way into today you get what i'm saying so yeah i'm always like if somebody like say, like conversations if we had in private like i would always definitely respect what you say and i'm just giving an example like and definitely shape it to my opinion on how i feel you know and just come up with a, a i guess you could say an ultimate answer or <laughs> i think everybody would be cool with or if not just agree to disagree <laughs> and move on with it <laughs> Okay, so you, you you complete your senior year at Wake. You have a, a really accomplished collegiate career. How the heck did you fall to 29th? What what I mean, you know, some guys it's they're not they're undersized. You're not a small guy. Uh, you're six seven. You know what, what? Do you did you ever get a good reason as to why, despite everything you had accomplished, you had fallen and and thankfully to the Mavs, but uh, that you had that experience at the draft. Uh, the one excuse that I heard consistently was that I did everything good and not one thing great, which I guess you can say that was the equivalent of being the hybrid players that are definitely, definitely the greatest players playing the game at this point. So, you know, for me to hear that continuously, it definitely was like, you know, question mark on why, but it definitely gave me that drive and that motivation once, you know, the Mavericks drafted me to definitely show, you know, and prove that, I was definitely one of the best or the elite players in the game, you know, while I was at my prime. You know, it's it's funny because a lot of people are watching the last dance and and they're watching the, uh, you know, the scores from some of those finals games. And now it's like if you don't score a hundred, you got no shot at winning. And and the Jordan Bulls were winning games in the eighties and and holding opponents to the seventies. It's just the way the game has evolved. Hearing you say yeah. that, I wonder if if you entered the draft this year. Uh, how much differently you'd be valued with the way you know people evaluate players now versus versus back then. That that's really interesting. Uh, that that was the the reasoning. What, and then what was important for you as you grew from an NBA rookie into an NBA All Star and and being such an important part on some really really good teams. Uh, staying consistent. I learned that that was one of the keys to being successful. Is especially at your job, if I can do what I did consistently at a, at a high tempo or at a high level, I wouldn't have to worry about, you know, looking over my shoulder, worrying about the next person coming to take my spot. I knew that I had to do my job so my team could do our job, you know. So it's definitely, you know, just a team effort is what I learned from that too. A, a lot of people over the last two years with, with Dirk's retirement have, have shared stories about Dirk and, and the worker and the influence. What, what was your relationship with Dirk and, and how did he maybe uh, impact you? And, and maybe how did you impact him as you guys were, were growing together? 
Uh, we had a pretty cool relationship. Like that, that was my guy. Um, the story that I always tell people about is how he used to knew, knew he knew lyric for lyric Wu Tang songs, <laughs> which is pretty <laughs> funny. Like, and he would get on the bus and just bust out a lyric, and you, I turn around and I'm like, Turk, you really, you really know this music, you know? And I knew who he he really did, you know. So that was a, a funny story to tell about him, but you know, just to play alongside him. And to, you know, see his work ethic before practice, after practice, you know, how he handled the media, his professionalism, um, even how he was a community man. You know, I definitely watched him, you know, and, and seen the struggles that he had to deal with, you know, coming from a whole other country and settling in and doing what he did and becoming who he became, you know. So I, I definitely learned from him. And to play along a Hall of Famer, all-star, you know, is definitely a blessing and a notch in my book that nobody can take away from it. You know, like I said, to play one of the great ones in the game, Dirk Nowinski is always an honor and a pleasure. The the 2000s Western Conference rivalries were so special, and, and the Mavs were right in the middle of that with you had the Lakers, you had the Spurs, the Suns had their time. Uh, but the, the Mavs-Spurs matchups, be it in the regular season or the postseason, were, were so much fun. I'm curious if you have any specific memories uh, or, or thoughts on, on the the rivalry that you guys had with the Spurs kind of battling for that dominance in the state of Texas in the Western Conference. Yeah, it, it was special, like you said. I mean, it, and, you know, we could throw Houston in there too as yeah, well. Yeah. They, they, they definitely was a, a force to be reckoned with in those times. But like you said, it was kind of like Dallas-San Antonio, you know, from what a lot of people's perspective was in, I mean, in Texas. And like you say, just to go back and forth with a great team like that and for us to solidify that we're also a great team during those times, you know, it put it put a lot of pride in the state of Texas to know that we had those three, you know, basketball teams going at each other like that. And anyone could have been the, t- uh, the champion at any given year in those times. So um, hats off to San Antonio and uh, Houston for, you know, the games and the series because definitely a lot of those games I do remember. I actually watched uh, when we beat them, I want to say in 06 to go to the championship. And it was just an amazing dogfight, man. And, you know, to be in that type of atmosphere and to have that type of game was definitely fun and, and to be in. Did you ever think that in a critical game against the Spurs, your head coach would accidentally hit you in the groin? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I look to this day still like how in the world. That was, I know watching film, I, I should have been paying attention instead of talking it down. So, so that was one thing I wasn't doing. For for people who don't know what what I'm referencing, there was a an accidental interaction between you and Avery. To to the best of your recollection, what went down? I just knew I got hit, and I like I say, watching film again, I was talking to Damp and wasn't paying attention. So <laughs> I should have been paying attention, like I said, instead of talking. <laughs> um, and and that was you know a in the middle of a, a great run and you guys had some great runs with the Mavs. Uh, obviously the, the Oh six run was so special. It didn't have the ending that, that, you know, anyone would have wanted. Uh, yeah. When you think back to that season though, I, I know there was so much more good than there was bad. Are you able, I mean, it seems like with your perspective that I think I know the answer to this, but are you able to look back on that year with positive memories or does the ending uh, still bother you and, and kind of linger it's, it's bittersweet you know as years go by you know you kind of think back on it like you're saying like well, why what if this would have happened but you know i don't really worry about it i just know 
at the end of every NBA season, you know, NBA TV, they pretty much rerun, rerun the game. <laughs> so you're going to see it at some point every year. So, you know, I mean, it, to, at the, I guess the ultimate answer is at the end of the day, knowing that I'm one of few people that played in the NBA championship, nobody will ever take that away from me. You know, and and to have that experience and to have that knowledge to know that I can put my mind in a place where I can play almost 100-plus games consistently and make it to the championship, man, nobody can ever take that away from me. All right, uh, one more question, and then I want to get into the coaching side of things. When you got traded from the Mavs, I know that's that's always a, a different experience for everyone. What was that experience like for you, and, and, and how did you – feel when you you got the news that the the only team you had known the team you had become an all-star with uh decided that they they were ready to move on yeah i mean i think it's just like this for any other player like you know it's a place that you play for years that's your home like no matter what and you know to leave your home is definitely a, a change but you know you gotta also have that mindset that this is a business meaning the nba and trades happen so you gotta handle it in a, handle it in a professional way you know and uh i ended up in dc which is another great experience for me in my life, you know. So I don't I don't regret, you know, being traded. You know, it's just a part of the game. But I, that's another reason why I think I made Dallas my home anyway as far as living here, you know, because the place is awesome. I enjoyed the fans. Uh, the community's awesome. And, you know, it's a successful place in my mind. So why not live here? Why not be a part of something that's awesome? So. Favorite spot in Dallas? Ooh, man. It, uh you put me on the spot. Uh, so I can't, I'm going to say it, but they ain't going to know which one. But I like Crab Station. Crab, okay. All right. Crab Station's one. Um, I like Baby Back Shack. All right. Um, I like the Cake Bar. Uh, um, I'll leave those three out there. That's it. That's, that's, that's Josh's <laughs> top three. That works for me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I got some other ones. But like I said, the people be trying to find where I'm at. Yeah, we yeah, I know I know you like being low key, so we don't uh, we don't want people going on a scavenger hunt for you here. Uh, yes, sir. Josh, you said something in an article, gosh, it must have been over a decade ago, uh that I, I, I thought was, you know, a really cool quote. You said, I learned a long time ago not to count on other people to validate you, to make you feel good about yourself. I know who I am and I'm cool with it. Hey man. How yeah. important yeah, how I guess how important has that quote been for you and, and and what are some of the moments in your life maybe where you've really had to lean on that quote to get you through some tough times? Um well I mean it's one of my like standards I live by, it's like my motto basically. You know, you have to believe in yourself, regardless if nobody believes in you or not. Like and I can I can give you an example of like when I was playing middle school basketball and I wasn't good. And I remember people picking on me, you know, but I didn't care, you know, because at the end of the day, I knew I was out there giving it my all. And again, those were just one of those lessons I had learned from my grandma and uh, just value, you know, what I was doing and kept working on my craft to push through. Um, Could you repeat the second part of the question? Well, I just I didn't know if there were any specific uh, moments where you really had to lean on that quote and and thinking about that helped you, I guess, push through some tough times. Yeah, and I'm like, I'm glad you said that. Uh, repeat it for me. Um, just like my initial coaching was one of those times where, you know, without having the experience and jumping right into college, there's a lot of people that didn't have a clue that I took like a coaching clinic the year previous 
that I had some type of experience, but was, you know, talking about I wouldn't be successful or I wouldn't be able to uh, start up a program. And sure enough, I was able to do it. And it was just in, you know, me believing in what I could do and not worrying about what nobody said. So, I mean, yes, it, it, it's definitely something that I stand by and live by. So, and, and the, the clinic you mentioned, is that the NBA top 100 clinic yes, that was, is that the, the one you're talking about? Yes, sir. I went to the one in 2015. One of the best experiences of my life, like as far as, uh, you know, fellowshipping with former NBA players that were also trying to find their way after basketball. And, you know, the program they put on was definitely help, a helpful tool. Like I still look back on some of the, the videos and notes that I took from there and uh, just applied to my coaching, you know, and it's definitely, definitely helped me excel in, in what I do as coach. What pushed you to go to that? Because I think I've heard you say that when you were playing, it wasn't like you thought, hey, when I'm done, I'm going to get into coaching. So what, what led you to go to that clinic? Uh, the amount of young men and women that wanted me to work them out as far as individually. And people wanted me to start AAU teams. And I knew I didn't want to get into it or get into basketball that route. Um, so I, you know, took a look at coaching and I'd already knew, like I'd had a, a foundation that had been running, you know, for maybe like 10 years. And all we did was what well, we did after school programming and we did, um, uh, yeah, after school program as far as like, uh, basketball camps and things of that nature. And then I just realized like, this was another platform for me to be able to spread the word, you know, give back to my community and also give, you know, young men and women, you know, access to my platform so they can go out there and be successful. So you you get a, a job at Piedmont, uh, and I guess that that really kind of was a, a big step for you that that ultimately has helped you get to back to DFW with UNT Dallas. How did that Piedmont job come about? Oh man, you, you ready for an amazing story? Let's hear it. All right. So on that day, I was working out kids, and me and Dr. Pettit, who's the president of Piedmont, had also been communicating through my foundation with one of my employees, Steve Niven, about how we could diversify the community of Winston-Salem, which is my hometown. So, and we was going to do it through my foundation and through Piedmont. So he was allowing me to use his gym to work out kids and do basketball camps there. And he came in on the day, seven years prior to Coach Skip Prosser passing away, and told me his, uh, his head coach had just resigned. And if I knew any coaches, to let them know. So after workouts and after he told me that, you know, I, I prayed about it on the way home. And, you know, something said, pick up the phone and call Dr. Pettit. So I called Dr. Pettit and told him I found his, uh, his head basketball coach. And he was like, well, what's his name? And I said, it's me. And, and he was so, you know, elated because he didn't think I would take the job, let alone I never, like I said, thought I would have a job like that fall on my lap, especially after taking the coaches, you know, top 100 uh, MVV clinic and uh, I mean a uh, basketball clinic and then just this happening within like two months after I go to the clinic like it was just an amazing story you know so uh, I just I just took the job and ran with it and applied everything that I learned from you know Coach Prosser, Coach Odom, my previous coaches and um, just just been continuing to grow as a, as a head men's basketball coach. When you look at where you are now and, and that is an amazing story and I appreciate you sharing that uh, and the the timing of it too with uh, with Skip Prosser who who you know for those listening you know accomplished so much at Wake Forest. Uh, when you look at where you are now as a coach versus maybe when you started, what are the areas in which you've really improved and, and grown? <laughs> Patience. <laughs> Patience, like understanding, like 
the era of young men, like, are different than my times. And, like, it, it, it happens. It's something that you just, as a coach, you need to be aware of. You have to understand the generation, understand how you need to interact with them. Because every, every method that you use isn't going to work with every child that's on that court. Um, and just getting to know the players. I think that's a, a thing that a lot of these coaches out here that are, that are coaching don't really, you know, think about. Like, getting to know your players, honestly. Like, because time goes by so fast, and I know you can't learn every one of the players, but the effort that you put forth in uh, learning a player goes a long way. Take it from a former student to athlete, you know. So those are the things that I've learned, you know, as being a coach is definitely patient, being patient. Sorry, can you just, uh, for my wife, can you repeat that word? Patient. There, there we go. Thank you, Josh. I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> okay, so now you're at Piedmont, and you you get the job at UNT Dallas, and, and you're going to start up a program uh, here in the Metroplex, and, and I know so many people are fired up to hear your name. You know, I mentioned this earlier. You, you like to stay low-key. Uh, and so I think a lot of Mavs fans probably were wondering, hey, you know, I wonder what Josh Howard's up to. And and it was really cool to see just on social media when that was announced, uh, the the excitement that, that at least I saw from the basketball community on social media, especially here locally. But how how did the UNT Dallas job come about, and and why is starting a program up uh, so appealing to you? Um, well, starting a program up is just basically like you know you're putting your your footprint on on young men and women as far as, like, motivating them to be great. You know, hands down, that's, that's it. Making them a student athlete, understanding that success comes with hard work. You know, that's that that's, that's first and foremost. And just being organized uh, and starting the program, having structure so those young men understand, like, you know, this is a job. You know, basically you're going to come in here and have fun and enjoy your job and, you know, get something out of it as far as getting a quality education from UNT Dallas. Um and the fan support, you know, it's pretty cool to see it because, like you say, I am low-key uh, when I posted it and seen just, like, the response. You know, it was just a blessing to know people are still interested in what I do. You know, and of course, I've seen people try to figure out what I've been doing. But, <laughs> you know, it's just, you know, it's just living life, man. People don't realize athletes, football, basketball, baseball, all the sports, we're human. All right, we're human just like any other human. You know, we just did a sport or did something that, you know, others couldn't do, you know, to a high, you know, a high, I guess you can say, competing level. So, you know, that that's the only difference, man. We put on our pants just like any other person any day, man. We just, you know, out here living our lives, and that's all I've been doing is just enjoying my life, my life, excuse me, enjoying my kids. You know, that's been the best part of, you know, retiring and having time to be around my kids and even to come back here and coach where my kids are based. Man, I, I'm so excited to be here so they can see me coaching. And they didn't get a chance to see me play basketball because they were younger. But to see me coach is a whole other aspect in their life that I'm I'm glad I can be here to do for them. When I talk to coaches, Josh, and I ask them what's important, you know, in leading men or women, they always talk about having core values, conveying those values, and sticking to them. And I think I I know just from this conversation what some of those might be for you. But uh, what what are the core values for Josh Howard, the coach? Uh, being honest with yourself, being able to have belief in your craft or, or what your ability is. Um, those are my main two values. Um, cause honesty will lead into, you know, having faith, you know, just like I say, believing in yourself and then you can, uh, you can achieve amazing things once you get out there and set the mind or have the mindset to do it. 
you've referenced Josh your charity work and and I I would never have this conversation and not at least allow you to kind of share a what you've been doing and, and b what some of the needs are uh, that maybe you know people hopefully people listening feel compelled to to contribute towards so uh, I guess kind of open ended what what are what are the various things you're involved in and and what are some of the needs that you've uh, experienced through your your time doing charitable work. Um, well, back in North Carolina, my hometown, uh, I do an after-school program at Spratt Recreation Center, and it's basically for the low-income low area town uh, side of town that I grew up on. And it's, it's, it's for the young men and women, you know, that don't have a place to go after school, you know, and I'm able to give them a meal, uh, have them experience different type of field trips, uh, educational field trips at that where they, they can learn from it also with, you know, maybe having to be away from home in an environment where they don't necessarily want to be at. So it's kind of a place of comfort, a place of refuge where the young men and women can, you know, learn as, as well as be safe. And then down here in Dallas, I, I participate with the government in a feeding program where I also help feed low income areas around the Dallas Metroplex where we also have after school programming, we're basically, like I said, up in North Carolina, the same thing, but on a bigger scale down here in Dallas. So those are my main two babies. I would say that I definitely am in tune to that. A lot of people don't know that I do, especially here in Dallas. So, um, you know, any type of support, you know, is cool. I have a, a website, joshowerfoundation.com, that a lot of information can be seen on, um, along with just in general, when people reach out to me on uh, my Instagram, you know, I'm pretty thorough at, at like looking and trying to figure out who's honest and who's not and sending it over to my, my assistant with the foundation and she gets in touch with people. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm very consistent with it, but real discreet, you know, and I just, I just enjoy doing what I do, you know, cause it's about helping others and Lord knows I've been helped and I understand the value of giving back to my community and others. So I'm definitely going to do it as long as I'm here.